Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Oswald. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archive editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is anthropologist Anya Peterson-Royce. Anya is Professor of Comparative Literature and Anthropology at Indiana University, where she explores the anthropology of dance and performing arts. She is the author of The Anthropology of Dance and is working on a book about the Palabalist Dance Company, which examines their unique creative process based on collaborative improvisation. Anya Royce, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you so much, Steve and Mary Alice. I look forward to talking with you. Well, it's great to finally have you on as we've uh, talked in person several times as you've been up here doing your uh, observation and study of Palabalus, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. But before mm-hmm. we get to that topic, I, I wanted to ask you more generally about your work around dance and performance and, and what does it mean to look at those topics from an anthropological viewpoint and what kinds of questions do you ask doing that work? Well, well, I think that my work as an ethnographer, that is somebody who does field research, um, spends long periods of time uh, trying to understand people's stories and communities. Um, One thing that you see is the ability of particular communities who've persisted over a long period of time to be creative in the kinds of changes that they make and the kinds of innovations that they accept. And and one of the things that allows them to do that is a strong basis in the community and the fact that there is a, a sense of collaboration, a sense of support for people who who are creative and who do different kinds of things so that people are encouraged to, to step out of the familiar into something that's quite strange and and bring something back that the community is going to accept. So I think that a lot of my ethnographic work has been reinforcing that notion of creativity and collaboration. Certainly my my work in anthropology performing arts has has done that, although mainly in the area of mentoring and in learning um not so much because, as you know, my own background was in, in classical ballet. Which... I was going to say, we should have said in our introduction, you, yeah. you were a dancer before you were an anthropologist, and uh, perhaps you can uh, touch on how you stepped from the familiarity of, of dance into the unfamiliarity <laughs> of anthropology along the way. Uh, yeah, uh, classical ballet is not a genre um, th- that allows for a whole lot of creativity on the part of the dancer because dancers are regarded as instruments for the the choreographer to be creative and so so our job is to is to be the best that we can be in order to make the choreography look good so it doesn't encourage that kind of um 
exploration or or looking for innovative ways of doing things, although you do develop a particular style that suits your body and your temperament and the work that you're doing. I think for me what what that experience in classical ballet gave me was a sense of con- confidence and a sense of competence that that there was one thing that I had done really, really well. So um, I think that gave me the courage to to then try something else that that was quite unfamiliar, knowing that at least I'd had this um, success in in one thing, and likely I could repeat that. Um, I think that um, once I actually I went into comparative literature first, and then took an anthropology course as a requirement, and um, found that I really loved talking with people about their stories rather than deconstructing texts that somebody had written about stories of people. Um, And then when I began working in Mexico and working on dance, um, that was a kind of a natural for me because I had those abilities that I could apply in quite a different um, genre, if, if you call it that. Well, following up on that, Anya, what have you? What I, you've studied music and dance and performance in other cultures at, in Mexico, as you said. What have you learned about performance outside of our U.S. performance styles? Is there a difference in world mm-hmm. traditions? Uh, you, well, yes and no. I think it depends. Um, certainly, working with the um, Maybe with the Apache and the Pueblo Indians in New Mexico, um, their sense of um, people from the outside tend to think of societies like that as unchanging. But in fact, when you look at the way that they create dance and music for particular rituals, there's always an element of change. So, for example, they will say, okay, we're going to do this ceremony and we're going to need some new music for it and so they'll get the musicians together and they work collaboratively to decide what kind of theme they want to do this year and and at some point they bring the dancers in and so and then the collaborative group gets to be very large um my work in Ireland which started in 2008 uh, is also on music and dance and um I think if you look at an Irish music session in pubs, there's a this kind of welcoming of anybody with a musical instrument who knows the tunes to sit in and play, and you play as long as you know the tunes, and and you're quite welcome. Um, and in that kind of context, the tunes get changed because people bring very different little ways of of performing them. And I think the same thing is true with dance, and certainly when you look at people learning and teaching music and dance it's a it's a process of helping people acquire a kind of sense of confidence in what they can do and then pushing them beyond that so that they're not satisfied with just just doing it um well but they you want them to do it really really well and add their own individuality and i think that doesn't change i mean at least in Societies I've worked with in Mexico and in Ireland and in the U.S., um, 
I think that's always been there. So how do you see the individual creativity versus the community uh, creativity in, say, an uh, Irish session in a pub or in mm-hmm. Mexico in their mm-hmm. uh, creating dances there? Mm-hmm. I think that that actually it functions a bit like Palabolus in the sense that um, when a group gets together to, to craft a particular kind of performance, everybody in the group has a voice or everybody's body has a voice or everybody's instrument has a voice. And so um, so the individual is very important even though in the end it has to be a community decision because you can't have somebody going off uh, on a riff that, that doesn't belong in that particular performance. So, so I think that the people who are used to working in, in community like that um, and who are who are committed to making what they do um, aesthetically pleasing or beautiful or something, I think that they welcome people who are really good at what they do, even though they may be good in a different way. Does that does that answer that? Does that make sense? Yes, that makes that makes sense. My ass. So can you continue then on to Palabolus? And we'd love to hear um, about some of the individual dancers and then, of course, about the creative collaboration and how that works, the uh, collaborative improvisation with Palabolus. And then maybe say something first about who they are for listeners who might not know anything about the Palabolus Dance Company. And, and we should mm-hmm. mention one of our original Early guests when we first started the show was Itamar Kubovi, who's the executive director of Globalist, so listeners can find that interview at creativityandplay.com as well. But mm-hmm. if you'll say something about who they are first and then pick up Mary Alice's question about how they do what they do in creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, Palabolus began in 1971, and it was founded by... Um, four guys who were not dancers. They came from all different backgrounds. They were at Dartmouth. They were undergraduates at Dartmouth. And um, they took a modern dance class and had to had to create a piece. And, and as each of them has said, um, they were terrified of having to dance alone or unsupported. And so they created a piece building on each other's bodies and um, became... Um, known for that, mainly because Marie Lewis and Alan Nikolai saw them and uh, and said, you know, why don't you come to New York and and uh, we'll give you a venue to perform. So um, I think by 19, maybe 1980, they were pretty well known and they had uh, won awards in, in Europe and things like that. And the, the extraordinary thing about Palabolus and uh, something that Robbie Barnett, who is one of the founders, has said, uh, is that they are they were outsiders to the world of dance. They didn't know anything about about dance, about modern dance, and and certainly the way they they decided to create uh, is it makes them a maverick among modern dance companies. Certainly a, a very strange uh, dance companies because they all the dancers in the studio are equal contributors to to both inspiring and creating the choreography. Um, each of the dancers comes from a very different experience of dance, 
or even not dance and people coming out of theater or or um some kind of athletic background so you don't even have to be have been a dancer um and it 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 seems like it wouldn't work certainly not past the first generation of founders when they stopped dancing and they had to hire new dancers and pass this strange way of working on uh but it's worked for more than 40 years so um f- for me I had been watching Palabolas probably since the late 70s, whenever they would be in town, and found them an extraordinary, uh, fascinating, interesting company because every time I saw them, the work was different. And um, normally a company finds its um, the kind of sweet spot where where audiences are really, really like what you do, and then they continue doing it. And Palabolas has never done that. It's it's always tried new kinds of things, and most of them work. Some of them don't, but it hasn't changed the way that they work. So um, it occurred to me that maybe it might be uh, interesting and useful to work with them and write a book about them. And I've been doing that since about 2008, I guess. Is the uh, timeline of, of a number of years like that the way you've approached other projects in the past, or is this a, a different amount of time to mm-hmm. focus on on a topic like this intensely? Um, actually, that's a very good question. It's um, it's normal for anthropologists because we normally work for very long periods of time um, with a group and. Um, and this project has turned out to be very much like that. It's it's a collaborative project. If I could, I would put all their names on the title page as as collaborators and authors. Um, in the I, spirit of Palabolas, of course. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but, but certainly the work has developed that way, and um, they've been extremely... Um, warm and and welcoming and um and I think spending time with the company spending time with the dancers um watching them in performance watching them in rehearsal is all really crucial um and I remember one of the first meetings I had in it was at the American Dance Festival in Durham North Carolina and I was invited to go to dinner with the the founders and 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 others, and they were giving me a kind of grilling about, well, how do how do anthropologists work? We don't know um, anything about this strange discipline. And so it's, I explained how ethnographers work, and, and in the end, Jonathan said, it sounds just like the way we work. So, <laughs> um, and I think now he they, was right. Now they see themselves as an anthropological dance company. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, they began sort of laughingly referring to themselves as a tribe at one point, but uh, I think uh, I think they certainly work as a family, and and um, with all of the the benefits and downsides to that, because families know each other so well that they can they can fight a lot, uh, but they know each other so well that they can also get past that. So. You uh, shared with me a. A few months ago, I think it was a syllabus for a class you taught called Creative Collaboration, which I believe came from some of the concepts that you 
you've taken away from this work with Coopolis. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what was in that class and, and how you have the students in the class sort of practice and apply some of the concepts around creative collaboration? Um, yes. In fact, I'm teaching it again in the fall, and it has a different set of, of topics and workshops. Um, I think the, the convincing students to uh, to have find the courage to try things that they haven't tried before is mm-hmm. uh, is delicate, and I, what you need to do is to build a foundation of of trust. They have to trust each other. They have to trust the person who's leading the class. They have to trust themselves to to enter into these workshops. Um, and that's built on on a kind of mutual respect. They need to to think, okay, this is somebody who is as committed as I am, and and so we can work together and and do this. Um, because without that that respect and trust, really nothing happens. People are not willing to to sort of leave their areas of strength and do things that make them look silly or or incompetent. Um, we did. Um, I try to have as many workshops with outside people as I can, and one of the things that really worked in that class was a West African drumming workshop taught by a drummer who's probably regarded as the best West African drummer in the world, and he happens to live now in Bloomington. So we got a small little theater uh, on campus, and he came with 15 drums because that's how many of us there were in the class. And we spent two and a half hours learning how to drum um, as a group. And at one point, I'm not—I have to confess—I'm not very good at it. But um, <clears throat> so maybe I was a good example for for other students who who could feel that they were actually accomplishing something. But but at one point, he um, he stopped and he said to everybody, he said, "You know, in West Africa, when when you drum, you're part of a family." And and you know if one person makes a mistake, it doesn't really matter because it's the family that matters. And that was a very liberating, freeing um, thing for him to say to the class because then people really thought, okay, no one's looking at me. My sound is is mingled with everybody else's sound, and so in the in the end result, it's pretty spectacular. Um, so. Um, the other workshop that worked very well was uh, given by a trio. They're a musical, dance and musical group um, here also in Indianapolis, and they have taken five or six workshops with Palabolas. So they came and did a workshop kind of along the lines of Palabolas, and this was a harder, I think, for the students because many of them were not dancers, but they could all move. And, and I think the, the result at the end of that was the same. I mean, they felt competent. They felt they had done something that they had never even thought about doing, and and they did it pretty well. So, so I think giving them things like that, um, the reading of of Csikszentmihalyi, which I thought might be tough going, turned to work out really well because they could they could find people in their own lives that had these kinds of qualities that he talks about in terms of creativity, and they could see areas where they had that too. So, And he was the author of 
flow and a book called Creativity as well. Yes, he is. Yeah. I wish well, you had more. Pardon me? Go ahead. Go ahead, Anya. Go ahead and finish. No, I, I just wish he had worked more with dancers. Uh, I mean, I love what he does, and I love his, his use of uh, visual artists and writers and poets and people like that, But mm, and scientists, because they go through the same kind of process. So This is where you come in. Well, <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Well, you know, I often say that Palabolus is my favorite dance company, so I'm saying it once again. And so I wonder if you – one thing I wonder, because every time I am uh, have been able to be at a performance, I want to get right up on the stage with them. And I wonder if that happened to you, that you wanted to get in the mix. <laughs> and also, I wondered if you could just go back and, and share at least one story of one of the um, – dancers that you've interviewed and ethnographically and um, tell us a little bit about mm. him or her, one of the dancers in the company, or what you discovered. Well, okay. Um, did I want to get up there with them? Um, yes. Yeah, I think once you've been a dancer, you're kind of always drawn, your body's always drawn to um, to dancing, no matter what it is. Um, but... I think as a, I think I saw my job as listening and watching and and um, and I couldn't figure out how to do that and dance at the same time. <laughs> you were in so a different position. I restrain, <laughs> I restrain myself. Um, and I missed them. Have, have you been able to uh, participate in their any of their either day long or week long workshops that they do just to uh, get a little bit of that flavor? Try it out. Um, I I watched, observed, wrote down um, a week-long workshop up in uh, Washington Depot, and I also uh, documented the week-long workshop they did in New York City, which was for dancers, advanced dancers. So, no, I I did not um, step out and build any shapes. I didn't uh, <laughs> I didn't run and jump. I'm I'm sorry to say. Only in my own room when there's no one else. It's mm-hmm. a yeah. Um, I think one of the things that that talking with dancers has of Palabolus has is just been extraordinary is how they talk about their experience into the in the company. I mean, it, the um, one of the dancers, and I've talked to people from almost every single cohort now. Uh, starting, of course, with the founders, but then that that very first group that came in in 1981. Um, And they they say things like, it was the best thing ever. There's nowhere I would rather dance. And I wanted this more than anything in the world. No, the galaxy. Um, (laughs) So even even people who who didn't stay with the company very long for whatever reason still Mm -hmm. said this was the, the best dance experience I have ever had. Um, and even people in at auditions who are not chosen, and there are a lot of them because they only pick two out of 400, um, say things like, there was one who said, it was the most fun audition I've ever been to, and it's all right I didn't get the job. It was great. Thank you. So I mean, it, those are kind of extraordinary things to hear. 
uh, in the dance community where um, people just don't kind of attach themselves and invest their their whole heart and and everything in a company. When we interviewed Yitomar, he talked about uh, really how how what you've been describing in the ways that dancers interact with each other mm-hmm. all the time, every day, how that also affects the way they run the organization from a collaborative, creative yes. process yes. approach. Has that come into the work that you're doing as well, or have you primarily focused on, on the dancers in the studio as opposed to the, the organization itself? No, not really, because I'm... I'm extremely interested in the Palabolus Institute because I think that um, the the founders certainly believed enough in in the value of the way they work to want to share it, uh, not just model it for other people, but to share it. And so the institute was created to to um, as a as a place to create workshops. So they do workshops for elementary school kids, for high school kids, for um, corporations, businesses, um, theater groups, dancers, non-dancers, and, and I think what they do. Um, and Robbie Barnett, one of the founders, ha- said something when he was doing an after after-school arts program fundraiser per, kind of performance. It was it's, it's extremely important, and and one of the things that I think is the company's gift. He said, um, experiencing that kind of learning, that is the collaborative, creative, making yourself vulnerable, uh, doing anything, learning. He said it's opening oneself up to the peril and power of the unknown. And it's our job as teachers to lead those who sign on safely through a world that does present real danger. It will challenge them at times. It will terrify them. But if we lead them well and bring them home safely, they'll return to do it again and again because it tells them that they have this well of feeling lying within them to which they have access and that they have the skills and the courage and the stamina to look at it over and over in the course of their lifetimes. I mean, it's a wonderful gift that Polabolus is able to give pe- people in who never dreamed of dancing but but who need that sense of community. So yeah, I'm looking at um, the organization. Certainly, when when uh, Itamar came in, that was a, an extremely important point, and he's been an extraordinary um, uh, facilitator of of all kinds of things that that probably would not have happened had he been there. So yeah, I have to cut it down, but but those are things that I'm interested in. And Itamar and I talked about um, movement leading to meaning and um, many, many more ideas that then lead to other creations. So I wonder what you have to say as we end up the interview today about how movement and dance and performance, how that those lead to meaning in our lives individually and as communities. Mm. Well, trust Itamar to pose a question that's so hard to answer. Uh, <laughs> I think um, the experience of dance, even as an audience member, 
um, takes you out of what your normal daily life involves, and that includes thoughts, and it and it inspires you to um, to create meanings out of that performance. And I, you know, this is one challenge for choreographers and dancers because audiences create their own meanings, uh, no matter what it is you're doing there. Um, and it gives them, um, I think it g- gives them a sense that there are people in the world who who have these kinds of gifts that they can share with people who need them, but who don't have the time or the talent to go there. So I think maybe that's the kind of meaning that we can take away um from being audience to performance, and certainly when you when you are in a performance, if you take a workshop, then there are whole levels of meaning that that become really important um, that lead you to feel that that you you are courageous, you are fearless, you uh, you're curious. Um, you know, you might be open to some crazy idea that you'd never thought about before. So. Um, and you'd probably get that just as sitting in the audience, I would <laughs> Well, Anya, thank you so much for joining us on Creativity and Play, and we hope we can have you back when the, the book comes out and perhaps with some of the dancers to be part of the conversation as well. So thanks very I much would, for joining us. I would love that. Thank you so much, both of you. Uh, anthropologist Anya Peterson-Rice is professor of comparative literature and anthropology at Indiana University and author of The Anthropology of Dance, and you can find her on Facebook and also on the Indiana University website as well. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you again, Anya, for being our guest today. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.